Hello everyone, welcome to another mini-episode of Balkwell's Books. Today we're going to discuss a work from my favorite, probably my favorite author, at least one of them, Herman Melville, and this is one of his lesser-known works. In fact, every work of his other than Moby Dick is one of his lesser-known works, but uh, this one is particularly lesser-known. I find. And this is Marty, uh, also called Marty and a Voyage Thither. And uh, you don't often see books with the word thither in the title, which makes this particularly intriguing. This is Herman Melville's third novel, published in 1849. Uh, that's Marty with a D and an I. Uh, I feel like maybe you're supposed to roll your R's or something, because I I just feel like Doc Brown from Back to the Future saying Marty, but uh, that's the only way I know how to say it. I don't know how to roll my R's, so Marty by Herman Melville. So being his third novel, of course, uh, he wrote two books before this, and these were his first novel, Taipee, and his second novel, Omu. Now, both of these books are based on Herman Melville's real experiences at sea. Anyone who's read Moby Dick will not be surprised to know that Herman Melville spent quite a lot of his, I guess, uh, younger years on a boat, on many boats, doing a, a variety of boating activities on merchant ships, on whaling ships, of course, and on uh, uh, he was in the Navy as, as well for a time. So... These early works are, like Moby Dick, very concerned with being on boats. Taipee, in particular, is about being on a boat and then leaving the boat to go and uh, sort of visit a Polynesian island. He doesn't like the captain on the boat, and so he leaves and spend, ends up spending some time living in a sort of native village um, in Polynesia and uh, writing about his experiences, writing about the way of life of the people there, and etc., etc. And this book, first book, Taipee, was actually quite a big success, a relative success. I mean, it wasn't lighting the world on fire, but it was a fairly popular novel. These sorts of seafaring adventures were, and probably still are, you know, it's a fairly popular genre. It's exciting, you've got the adventure, you've got an exotic location, you've got a way of life uh, people don't know about, you've got experiences that they've never even conceived. So Taipei sort of hit uh, the right notes to become a fairly popular novel. And of course, Herman Melville is a good writer. And even at, at the uh, early stage of, of his career, he was able to uh, interest his readers through his style. After the success of this first novel, Herman Melville followed it up with a very similar sequel named Omu, which follows pretty much soon after that book and takes place on the island of Tahiti. In Omu, there's more discussion of the relationship between the sort of colonizers and the native villagers of the island. Um, but for the most part, it's a fairly similar type of book. 
it's an account of Herman Melville's real experiences in a real place designed for, you know, popular appreciation, you could say. But Herman Melville, while he was achieving success with these novels, there was a sense that some part of him was not being expressed, that he had a more poetical, a more fanciful, more literary side that was sort of welling up inside of him. And when something is welling up inside of someone and not being expressed, it has the tendency to explode out. When it does finally come out, it comes out um, beyond anyone's control and usually uh, in a very extreme fashion. And this is what happened with Herman Melville when he wrote Marty. And he actually includes in Marty a preface to the novel, which gets at some of what we're talking about. And I will just read that for you because it's very short. And he says, quote, Not long ago, having published two narratives of voyages in the Pacific, which in many quarters were received with incredulity, the thought occurred to me of indeed writing a romance of Polynesian adventure and publishing it as such, to see whether the fiction might not possibly be received for a verity, in some degree the reverse of my previous experience. End quote. So, of course, what Herman Melville is saying here is that he wrote two books of non-fiction, mostly non-fiction. Hard to say how much of it is true and how much of it isn't, because he was the only person there for uh, able to verify some of it. But certainly some of it seemed too, um, too interesting to be true, I suppose, too, uh, too wild to be believed. And many people didn't believe him. They accused him of, of plagiarism. They accused him of making things up. And what he said to this is, maybe I should make things up. If, when I'm writing the truth, people don't believe me, I may as well just make up very exciting untruths. And perhaps people will enjoy that even more. And perhaps they might take them to be true uh, instead. He says, <clears throat> at the end of the preface, he has a short sentence. Quote, this thought was the germ of others, which have resulted in Marty. And that is perhaps an understatement, that this thought was the germ of others, because there are quite a few different thoughts and ideas thrown in to the book Marty. While Taipei and Omu are fairly short, relatively short, I think they're between two and 300 pages each, Marty is above 700. It is a very large book for what it is, because it is not a particularly structured novel. And this is what I meant when I said that sometimes when things that are repressed explode, they or come out, they tend to explode. And Marty is definitely an explosion of ideas, an explosion of poetic fancy. It is Melville finally releasing all this literature inside of him. He is a man who loves Shakespeare, he loves Dante, he loves all these sort of literary giants, all these poets, and these people with who are able to write with their imagination. You know, obviously Shakespeare didn't go to the places he, he wrote his books about, Dante didn't go to hell, um, 
Well, maybe he did. Most people think he probably didn't actually go to hell. But they were used their imagination to express their inner beliefs. And Herman Melville, even as a, as a young man, had a lot of beliefs about the right way of, of living life, the uh, true form of liberty, and he was keenly aware of many of the problems, both of his country, the United States at the time, and also of European civilization. Now, it's not uncommon for Americans at the time to have much to say about European civilization, um, but Herman Melville was certainly more critical of America than, uh, than many other writers were. But let's get into the actual plot of the novel as much as there is one. So in Marty, we begin with a, a man on a boat, uh, as usual, and Herman Melville, or the narrator, leaves the boat, he sneaks away, and ends up at a sort of archipelago of islands in the, I guess, Polynesia area. Obviously, these aren't real islands, but it's somewhere in those that sort of Polynesian chain, I suppose you could call it. And these are the islands of Mardi. And when Melville arrives, he meets the people there, and for whatever reason, he is taken to be some sort of god or some sort of reincarnation of a a god from the past or maybe some king from the past who attained deification and then died or left and now Herman Melville is back and being treated as this god. This is kind of a relatively common trope of, you know, the villagers seeing the, the white man as a god in this novel, not that much is done with it. I suppose it's mostly just an explanation as to why he's not immediately killed or treated with extreme suspicion. But um, so Melville spends some time on this island and he ends up falling in love with a woman he sees for a couple seconds who has been kidnapped. And he decides he should set out and try to find her because... That's as good a reason as any to set out and see the rest of the islands in this chain. Joining him are a philosopher, a poet, a sort of chronicler or historian, and a king. And these four characters all represent different aspects or embody different aspects of Herbert Melville as a person. Obviously, he has that philosophical nature. He likes to think about the right way of living, think about what is the true nature of people, the true nature of, of the world. He's a poet. I mean, this is fairly obvious, being a, an author, and later he would write um, a lot of poetry. A, a historian, and um, anyone who's read Moby Dick will also be aware that he is a historian because he loves to um, allude to events from history, allude to mythological events, and such forth. He has a keen interest in, in history. 
And really, these are the three um, aspects that make up many novelists. You know, many novelists or even philosophers, these are sort of the three, the triad, I suppose, of the humanities, if you want to describe it that way. You have history, you have literature, and you have philosophy. And all these sort of blend together to make the ideas that make up the humanities. Then, of course, the king is there primarily to provide a more grounded view of the world and to keep everybody in line. So throughout the book, while they're traveling among these islands and traveling between these islands, the philosopher, the poet, and the chronicler will get into arguments or have heated discussions, and the king will be there to say, all right, guys, this is the final word. I'm the king. Let's just be quiet, you know? And so that tends to be how these four characters interact throughout the novel. The islands themselves are a very odd collection of little vignettes. Herman Melville loves the short chapter, one or two page chapters where you get at something and then that's it, on to something else the next time. So that is sort of a perfect format for this particular book because Marty, um, the islands of Marty, there are a lot of them and there's a lot going on. And so they are hopping between these islands and these islands are sometimes parable or sort of allegorical islands. Sometimes they seem to relate um, to real world locations. Some islands are obvious um, uh, parodies of the United States or, Euro or European countries like England or France or etc. Some islands, that's very clear. Some islands, they might be parodies, they might be allegories, but it's not really clear what of, what he's really trying to talk about. Some of them are sort of explorations of philosophical ideas or sort of political ideas about ways to organize uh, groups of people. And some of them are just nonsense. You know, it's, it seems that Melville sat down and was just throwing out these ideas one after the other. And as soon as, because there's not really much plot that needs to happen at each of these islands, he shows up, he describes everything that's there. And when he's done, he says, well, the girl they were looking for wasn't there. Off we go to the next one. So it's a very funny novel because it, it it's not cohesive. But it, it works for exactly what he wants to do here. Melville just wants to talk about a lot of different things. And he wants a sort of literary um, structure with which to do so. A very loose structure, but a structure nonetheless. A sort of imaginary uh, world in which he can place all these. Melville's not about to write an actual book of philosophy. He doesn't like to get at it that directly. So he needs this sort of fictional conceit. What this does mean is, of course, that none of these ideas are fleshed out, or very few are fleshed out that uh, rigorously. But of course, that's also part of the charm, is that it gives you the, the 
avenue to think about these more on yourself. He introduces you to a strange idea that you might not have thought about, explores it a little bit, and then off to the next thing. As you might imagine, such a sort of non-structure and such a sort of non-novel type of novel was not particularly well received uh, by the critical uh, audience or the critics, the people writing reviews. And it's kind of hard to argue with these critics. I mean, if you were tasked, if I was tasked with reviewing this novel for the general audience, I probably wouldn't recommend it because most people probably won't like it. You know, it's it's not a popular type of book. Um, it doesn't have a, uh, a plot of you know much of a plot. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of action. It doesn't have a through line. It doesn't leave you suspenseful. It doesn't make you wonder what's going to happen next, except in a sort of abstract, I wonder what he wants to talk about in the next chapter sort of feeling. So there, there is a certain justice in the fact that critics read this book and said, probably not worth reading, you know, or at least, uh, you know, not worth purchasing or all this. Some were probably slightly too harsh, but it's, it, it's easy to see, you know, you have a man writing popular fiction, popular or non-fiction, depends how much you believe him. He writes these books that are fairly straightforward explanations of real things that are happening in a place in the real world, and then he goes off on this sort of tangent, and, uh, these critics are right to say, if you enjoyed the first two books for the the reasons that they were enjoyed, you might not enjoy this one. It's funny because there there are there is a large you know amount of serious, very serious people who just don't like things that aren't true, and a lot of the novels in the past, when the novel in as particularly in English was still coming about there still was this sense that people wanted it to be very grounded in reality. They wanted it to feel true. I mean, Robinson Crusoe, probably one of the first novels you know, popularized in, in English, people thought it was real. People thought there was a real guy named Robinson Crusoe. And the man who wrote it, Daniel Defoe, was a, a newspaper reporter. So there was certain reason for them to believe that this actually happened. Marty is imp- it's impossible to believe that this happened. It's it's ridiculous. It's it's you know, it's a crazy story of people traveling in a in a crazy world. But sort of what this shows, what the critical reception might show is is some of the limits of contemporary criticism. Like I said, I think these critics were were fairly correct to pan this novel as a popular novel. Marty now is very could be very interesting to us because we already know what Herman Melville would go on to do. When we look at Herman Melville, we look at Moby Dick, we look at maybe Bartleby, Pierre, things like this, these sort of strange novels that aren't quite like anything else. You see it as a literary figure. And so when we go backwards and we look at his earlier works, we see in them the germs of those masterworks. Obviously, at the time, they they wouldn't see this, and 
there's no real reason for them to look at the book and try to see more in it if they don't know what's coming next. Marty in itself, while very interesting, would not be as interesting if we didn't know who Herman Melville was. The beauty, though, is that we do, you know. That's the fun of living in the future, is that now we do know who Herman Melville is, and thus we can enjoy Marty on its own merits. You know, we can wipe away the idea of whether this is going to be popular or whether it's, you know, exciting. I mean, sometimes it's kind of dull, but that's okay, you know. A lot of great books, we don't read them to be excited all the time. Sometimes you just want to relax. Marty is a great book to just relax with me, carried away, you know, by a man's thought, a man who has a lot of thoughts, just taking you along on a little ferry ride through his imagination. And so I would certainly recommend the book to, to anyone, particularly if you've, been, if you've enjoyed anything by Herman Melville, whether that be Moby Dick or Bartleby or anything else, there's certainly a lot to get here. If you feel any sympathy with the man, uh, this, is a, this is a great book for you to take a look at. And it's a book that's un- really unlike anything else. You you don't see people write a book like this. And it's kind of amazing because Herbert Melville was, you know, not a rich man. He was trying to make money. He was trying to write popular fiction really up until he stopped writing novels. Even though he wrote these very strange books, he always was trying to write books that were popular, you know. But he just had something in it in him that made it impossible. He just had too much strangeness, too much melancholy, and he couldn't contain it. He, he couldn't just write silly books and keep the rest to himself. It all had to come out or, or nothing at all. And eventually, it, it was almost nothing at all for the later half of his life. Thankfully, I mean, we got to be very thankful that the critical reception to Marty did not fully um, demotivate uh, Herbert Melville. Afterwards, he wrote two sort of more workmanlike novels, Redburn and White Jacket, which were going back to the Taipei and Omu style of, here's some stuff that happened to me on a boat. You know, and those books are, are good. They're, they're nice, you know, there's nothing wrong with them. But um, they don't compare really to something like like Moby Dick, or even to something like Marty. I think even for all its failures, Marty, uh, it, it has a lot of, there, there's much to be interested in this novel. So, I would say, Marty, it's an interesting book. It's got a lot going on in it. It's, it's quite long, you'll have to carve out some time, but it's a, maybe a great re- read before bed. Short chapters, little nice tidbits, something to dream about when you fall asleep. So that's all for today. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Balkwell's Books. As always, I enjoyed uh, sitting here and talking to you. Herbert Melville is one of my favorite authors, if not my absolute favorite, and I, I love all his books, even the strange ones, even the ones that don't quite, maybe don't quite work as well. 
Um, if you like the show, you can uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere like this. Um, or you can head to my website, balquill.substack.com. If you subscribe there, you will be notified by email of new episodes of Balquill's books, as well as new essays. I publish an essay on my website every two weeks. If you like this, you'll like those. Thanks for listening. I've been Balquill, and goodbye.